0: Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this is Bookin', sponsored by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is B.A. Shapiro, author of eight novels, four screenplays, and one work of nonfiction. She is the winner of the New England Award for Fiction, the Boston Authors Society Award for Fiction, among many other honors. Her most recent novel is The Collector's Apprentice, published by Algonquin Books out of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It is an honor to have you here, Barbara. Um, Before we talk about your latest novel, The Collector's Apprentice, I want to talk about writing about art. What is it that has drawn you over the course of your career to write about art? I've
1: always loved art. Um, When I was a little girl I wanted to be an artist, um, but unfortunately it turned out that that wasn't exactly where my strengths lay. So uh, I gave up being an artist, uh, but I never gave up my love of art and we travel a lot and everywhere I go I'm going right to the art museum. And I have a lot of friends who are artists, and I live in Boston, so I'm surrounded by art museums. And it just came naturally to write about what I love. And I have no background in art. I, uh, although I figure uh, the Art Forger was about the Impressionists, the Muralist was about the Abstract Expressionists, and the Collector's Apprentice is about my favorite, the Post-Impressionists. So I think I actually have given myself a master's degree in art history writing these three books. Where's your favorite city to visit art museums? Ah, well... There's Paris, (laughs) but also the museum that uh, The Collector's Apprentice is based on is the Barnes Foundation in Philadelphia, and it may be my favorite museum
0: in the world, so there's that. Excellent. Um, I'm partial to Amsterdam myself. Um, uh, yeah. When I think of other great works of fiction about art, I think of the poem uh, Musée des Beaux-Arts by Auden, a poem that you reference in The Collector's Apprentice. And uh, for a newer work, I think of Haruki Murakami's Killing Commendatore. What are some of your favorite works of fiction about art?
1: Well, I loved Donna Tartt's, what's the
0: name of the book? The Goldfinch.
1: The Goldfinch, <laughs> yes. I loved that. That was, that was an amazing amazing piece of work um the girl with the pearl earring is a really good one um you know and there have been so many more recently it seems like it's uh almost becoming a genre in and of itself Uh, so there are a lot of really wonderful people writing about art
0: i agree and the goldfinch is also one of my favorites um Moving on to your magnificent new novel, The Collector's Apprentice. This novel opens up in a courtroom. Someone named Vivienne has been accused of murder, and she is communicating with Edwin, who she has been accused of murdering. Uh, Can you set up for us what has happened here?
1: Well, Edwin and Vivienne are fictionalized characters for Albert Barnes, who was obviously a real person, and his assistant, Violette Damasia. And Albert Barnes created the Barnes Foundation. It has over 3,000 fabulous pieces of art, probably the best post-impressionist private collection in all of history. And Violette was his very mysterious assistant. Uh, Barnes was pretty much of a jerk. And this is a true story. He had a home that was a country home that he went to quite frequently. And on the way there, there was an intersection. And the people in the town decided to put a stop sign at the intersection. And he totally and completely disagreed with that. So he refused to stop at the stop sign. True story, one night, He drives through the stop sign. He is hit by a truck and killed. So I thought everybody knew he was driving through the stop sign. Perhaps he was murdered. And perhaps it was his very mysterious assistant who actually did it. So that is where the idea for Vivian and uh, Edwin
0: came to be. Thank you so much. And, um... Vivian Gregsby, of course, is also known as Pauline Martins, who has fallen in love with a con man. Uh, This con man has a get-rich-quick scheme uh, that involves buying postage coupons cheaply from one country and selling them in another where the exchange rate is higher. Of course, his ultimate goal is to gain investors and then disappear with their money. Uh, The long con is an art form in and of itself. Can you tell us about the importance of the long con in your novel, The Collector's Apprentice? Well, really, the whole
1: novel is about a series of long cons. Uh, My antagonist, George, uh, is a con man extraordinaire. Uh, I love him, and I hate him, and I'm fascinated by the workings of his mind, and I'm equally fascinated by the emptiness of his soul. And so he creates this long con, which bears a striking resemblance to the con created by Ponzi, uh, whose con became the Ponzi scheme, which is, you know, now become a generic term for cons. And George does this. It takes him a couple of years. He sets everything up. And he also set up meeting Pauline and because she came from a very wealthy family and over years made her fall in love with him. They're engaged to be married. And she ultimately begged him because that's what con men do. It's they set you up so that you ask for what they want you to ask for. And she begs him to allow her and her family and all of her friends and all of her father's friends to invest in his scheme, which appears to be an above-board business. And uh, so he takes all their money, and he leaves her at the altar, broke. Uh, her parents think that she was a mastermind of all of this, and she's kicked out. And at 19, she's alone and in Paris, and has to make her way in the world. And what she wants more than anything else is to get revenge on George. And she learns from him. And so he comes back and tries to con her, and then he, she cons him back, and she cons a couple of other people along the way. And I had so much fun with this whole thing. It was just a hoot.
0: <laughs> Excellent, thank you so much. And you can tell that you were having fun when you're reading it. Um, we're going to pause for a moment for a word from our sponsors, and then I will be right back with B.A. Shapiro. The Bookin' Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I am back with B.A. Shapiro, author of The Collector's Apprentice. Uh, Barbara, I want to talk about a passage on page 208 of your novel. There's a conversation between a Pauline or Vivian Gregsby and Henry Matisse in which they are discussing post-impressionism or rather how to differentiate between cubists, abstract artists, and post-impressionists, which is something that Vivian concerns herself with over the course of the novel. Henry, talking about a Paul Cézanne, says, Paul's concept that objects exist only in relation to one another, sets him apart. I use this idea every day. If you surround the subject with white space, the subject disappears. That is why I use the same vase or fabric or piece of furniture in many works. The object is changed by what surrounds it. This is, to me, the central passage of the novel. Can you talk about this idea of objects existing only in relation to one another?
1: It's a fascinating concept and actually the Boston Museum of Fine Arts had a show fairly recently and it was a show of Matisse's work along with the objects that he used in many pieces and I went there and I took my agent with me because she loves to go to art museums with me and she was laughing hysterically as there was Matisse's chair and I had seen the chair and and we're walking through, I said, oh, I hope there's the chair and there was the chair and I almost like bowed down to the chair. Um, You know, it's, I actually am a sociologist uh, by training. I have a PhD in sociology because that's what all writers need, Mm -hmm. PhD in sociology. (laughs) But to me, that concept, of an object disappearing when it it doesn't have anything around it is kind of like an individual without a society. And then when you put a piece in a context with other pieces and they start communicating, then you're creating a society and you're also changing that piece the same way we are changed by the society that we live in or, or the year that we grow up in. And so to me, it was just such a fascinating visual image of how I think about sociology and the effect of society on the individual that I just loved it. So I'm very glad that you chose that particular
0: passage. Excellent. Thank you. And um, specifically as that passage relates to the novel, can you talk about um, both Edwin's arrangements of paintings, uh, possibly juxtaposed with Gertrude Stein's, and also uh, the characters Vivian and and Clem Nipper, who is the con artist who goes by many other names, um, as characters who are determined by their surroundings? Well, there are a number
1: of there are a number of people in this book, including George and Clem and Benjamin and a lot of other people and Vivian and Pauline who do change their identities as well as changing where they are in society and where they are geographically. Um, Edwin or Albert Barnes is, um, He was a fabulous curator, and he came up with the concept that before before his time, all museums and all art collections were pretty much organized in linear time. So in a museum, you would have a room with Renaissance um, artists, and then you'd have Impressionists, and then you'd have the Greeks and the Romans. But he decided he wanted to get the viewer to think about the the works in a more artistic and emotional way. So he organized his paintings by artistic concepts of light, of color, of space, of line. And he put 20, 25 different paintings from all different artists in all different periods along with furniture and metal objects on a single wall. And he called these ensembles. And what he wanted was for the viewer to sit and look for a long time. So he didn't have any little white cards that told you anything about the paintings. He wanted you to take them in and and experience the paintings. This is very, very powerful, but it also, as Vivian finds in the course of the novel, can be annoying in the sense that sometimes you don't know where to look. He can have on a single wall uh, you know, a couple of Picassos and Matisse and Renoirs, and then he'll throw in something from ancient Egypt. And what Vivian finds is she wants her paintings to be on a wall of their own. And so that's another whole interesting idea of community or singularity.
0: Thank you so much. Um- Barbara, do you find it difficult, enthralling, or perhaps a little bit of both, to include historical characters in your novels? I'm thinking specifically of Matisse and Gertrude Stein in this novel, though there are many others.
1: I love it. It is so much fun, especially when they are characters like Gertrude Stein and Matisse. Um, I I did this in uh, my two previous art novels and each one I did it more and more so in the art forger there was a single historical figure in the muralists there were a few the artists uh, Pollock and Rothko and Lee Krasner Uh, in this book I have a whole assortment of uh, of actual people and Gertrude Stein is actually at the center of all of them she at her salon they're all hanging out and uh so you know Vivienne is there and edwin is there but also fitzgerald and hemingway and that's where she meets matisse and the so the novel is is constructed in many ways around gertrude stein and she is the essential connection between all of the both real and fictional characters and she also is you know a perfect character I mean these characters are you know so I didn't have to do all the work of making up an
0: interesting character like Gertrude she was just there thank you and um you also have a lot of historical true to life paintings in your novel uh can you talk about some of these I think of the music lesson that's the one that jumps out to me but there are also several others
1: the music lesson is a set, it's, so it's one of Matisse's masterpieces, and it is also a a central image in the novel. The painting was in Pauline's house as a young girl, and her father had to give it up along with a number of other post-impressionist paintings when George stole all of his money, and it she creates a situation where Edwin buys these paintings. And so the painting ends up in his museum in Philadelphia where she is also living. And it is a touch point for her to her past. And it's a visual image of what she has lost and what she wants to gain. The picture is of a family There's a mother in the far distance, and there are three um, children, one of them is a little bit older, in the foreground. But they're all occupied by very separate engagements. One is reading a newspaper, one is knitting. Two of them are, are at a piano, but there's a piece of a frame that separates them. And as a little girl, she cries at this painting And says I never want my family to be like this but because of George her family ends up like this and so it reverberates back and forth uh, which I really enjoyed another Matisse is the main artist in the book another one of his paintings the joy of life is um, it's a very large painting I think maybe like six feet across and it is also one of his many masterpieces and it is full of life and joy and happiness and uh, this is another touch point for her to see what life can hold when her life is in trouble and as a matter of fact when she gets arrested she walks past it and she says i will be back
0: thank you so much barbara and finally this may be a bit of a spoiler though are not too much of one i hope so listeners if you haven't read this book please take a moment to pause this podcast right now <laughs> you are finding your phone or other streaming device and you are pressing pause right now good um Barbara, the title of this book is The Collector's Apprentice, and I believe Pauline is the apprentice. Who is the collector?
1: Well, she's actually a multiple apprentice. So on the surface, she is an apprentice to Edwin, who is a collector. But she also is an apprentice to George, who ultimately becomes a collector. And she uses her skills as an apprentice to both of these brilliant yet difficult and kind of horrible men to figure out her way through her life. And I didn't realize it when I was writing the book, but it actually is a coming of age story. And this is how she comes of age, understanding what makes these men work and learning to use it to her own advantage.
0: Thank you so much. I have been speaking with B.A. Shapiro, author of The Collector's Apprentice, published by Algonquin Books out of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Barbara, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: Once again, I would like to thank B.A. Shapiro for joining me. Her latest novel, The Collector's Apprentice, can be bought in person at Quail Books or online at www.quailridgebooks.com. Our sponsor is Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please go to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.